everybody, and welcome to Real Conversations, a space where we discuss the important issues around the country, a space where we tackle the issues that affect us as minorities, and a sometimes a space where we just want to just have a regular casual conversation. Um, first of all, I like to say it's been a while since we've done this. It's been a year and a half. My name is Anthony Ellis. Um, just a little thing about me. Um, I'm an educator. Um, I'm an advocate. Um, enough about me. I'm just going to go ahead and introduce my wonderful co-host. Um, she is also an advocate. Um, I've known her for a very, very long time. Um, Cassandra, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Um, I'm doing very, very well. Um, I'm just a little nervous because it's been a while since I've done this. So it's the first time we've done this in a while. Um, as you know, I think um, it's so funny because last time we had this a conversation, I think we were talking about, um, we're in the midst of our second season. Um, we were talking about the incoming Biden administration and what are the challenges that he was going to face in the next, in the, in the next four years. Um, again, when we recorded this conversation, it was mid-January. Um, it was about, I think it was three days after the um, it was the inauguration. And then it was also a couple weeks, um, probably like it was two weeks after the insurrection. You probably remember this, Cassandra, from, you um, remember the insurrection, right? Remember yes. when you had... They were coming around and they attacked the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward to right now. Um, right now, we are about midway through the Biden administration. Um, the general election was uh, five months away. And we are amid a primary season where all the seats in the House and in the majority in the Senate are up for grabs. So, you know, every seat is available and that's Republicans and Democrats. Two years later, Cassandra, I think we all thought things would be a lot better because now we have a normal president. Um, and we all thought that things were gonna go back to the times of Obama and Clinton. And I can basically, and I think you can agree that we're dead wrong, right? You agree with that, yes. right, Cassandra? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Nothing, nothing really has changed. Um, I think things have gotten worse. Um, we have folks out there that still think that the election is stolen and Trump has won um, and should be reelected, even to this moment. Um, there were many issues that were left on the Senate floor without any movement. Um, gun violence obviously has hit an all-time high in the United States. And we still, and we also now have folks that think that the insurrectionists were going to the White House on a grand tour. Talk to Fox News about that one. Um, but obviously, one of the things that we know is one of the largest divisions that we have seen is in the evangelical body, which is Christians. Um, but before we go further, because I know our guests have been waiting, um, I'm going to stop here. And Cassandra, I'm going to allow you to introduce our next two tet our next two guests that's going to help us guide our discussion tonight so cassandra can you introduce our two guests please yes first i'd like to introduce my friend colleen batchelder 
She is a professional blogger and journalist. She has been featured in countless magazines such as MSN, She Owns It, and Talent Management, just to name a few. She also has a book coming out soon. Secondly, but not lastly, I'd like to introduce Jason Lockhart. He is an educator as well as a meetup organizer. He runs a Zoom chat called Melanin Investors Chat, where they talk about cryptocurrency, travel, finances, as well as a number of other topics. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. And, and we most recently talked about real estate and the reasons why you shouldn't be afraid to um, invest in a new house or refinance despite the, the rates going up. Wow. Wow. I think that's I think that's very, very important because you know everything has now gone up since um, <laughs> everything has gone up. So it's got it's gotten really, really crazy. So um, so right now, let's go ahead and set up our discussion for tonight. Um, first of all, um, before we go forward, let's define the word Christian. Um, I looked this up in a dictionary, and I'm just going to give you the plain, simple version. A Christian is someone who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings. Um, I know many of you probably have heard of the saying before, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, I just want to let you know that there are many varieties of the word Christian. It depends on exactly who you ask. Um, just to kind of give you some statistics, um, this is kind of a little bit disturbing. Um, this was a, according to the Pew's, Pew's National Public Opinion Reference Survey. And what it said is that they found that a majority of Americans that consider themselves Christian is 63%. Now that is down from 78% in 2007. So that's a pretty large drop. However, meanwhile, 29% of adults list their religion as none. So that means that you're considered as an atheist, agnotist, or nothing in particular. And that's up by 13%. So I'm pretty much sure that you, everyone knows what the reason for the decline. And tonight in our discussion, we're going to tackle this question. I want everyone to keep this question in mind. Is the conservative Christian following the teachings of Christ or are they following the teachings of white supremacy? So don't answer that question yet because we're going to kind of break this down a little bit. Um, we've decided to break this conversation down in four parts. Um, first, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about women's rights. We're going to focus mostly on the right, um, on the body. And we're also going to focus on abortion. So basically, we're talking about the woman's body. Then we're going to dive into LGBTQ rights. I think that's a pretty much a hot button topic um, that we've conservative Christians like to talk about and they like to mess that one up very well. Then we're gonna dive into social justice. And I know Colleen, you probably remember this from our previous conversation that we had from our podcast. Um, so it's gonna be kind of, this is gonna be a continuation on that. And then finally, um, and I think that this is very, very important, especially 
after what we've learned this afternoon about what the Supreme Court did. Um, and that's going to be gun violence. So we were going to look at each of their stances based on these four issues above. And then we're going to ask ourselves, does it align with the teachings of Christ or does it align with the teachings of white supremacy? So I'm going to allow Cassandra kick off our first topic. Um, Cassandra? Okay, our first topic is women's rights focusing on abortion. Women's rights is very important in today's society, especially when it comes to a woman's right to choose. It always has been a hot button topic, especially when it comes to the conservative Christian. They firmly believe that we must always protect the wound and killing the baby is a major sin. And that's not all. Lately, there has been mainly Republican lead states that make a make it a felony if abortion is attempted. So I got three, I have three questions. Uh, first question is, do you support a woman's right to choose? And please explain. Anyone can go first. Go ahead. I, I, I would say to me, um, I have been in every single boat imaginable when it comes to this specific topic. Being raised in a very conservative evangelical household, you know, of course, you learn from the very get-go that being pro-life is being pro-birth. However, as I deconstructed, as I went through my educational journey and through seminary, the problem that I found was the more that I actually looked at it, not only did I see that abortion was used by the moral majority as a form of oppression, as a form of racism, and it still is used like that today, um, it is to objectify and subdue, whether it's gender or race, from being equal. And I would say at this point, from my research and from my personal conviction, I am absolutely 100% pro-choice. There are numerous moments where, whether it be an atopic pregnancy, whether it be rape, incest, or a woman's right to bodily autonomy, that she has every right to choose and I believe that not only is it right ethically, I believe that in many ways, it's also right morally. Now, as for myself, I have mixed opinions about, about, the, about what my thoughts on, on abortion. And do I believe in women's rights? Absolutely, 100%. And if a woman chooses to have an abortion, like I hope it's for um, legit reasons uh, that they know that can um, take effect uh, with them, with themselves and family over time. Like, for example, if a woman gets raped and gets pregnant uh, by the rapist, then I can understand the reasoning of uh, getting an abortion and like I strongly suggest acting on acting on it immediately. And that's why uh, there are uh, there, there are med medications uh, such as I can't think of it um the after pill, am I saying it right? 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, things like that. Um, you know, just you know, be on the safe side it, it, and just take it because you don't want to be, let's say, three months pregnant and then like, oh, I don't think I can afford a baby. Mm-hmm. I don't want it, and then they get an abortion. Now that part is wrong. And also, um, if a woman is unmarried and whether uh, she is uh, fresh out of high school or in college or fresh out of college or just starting a career, um, just because you get pregnant uh, as what will be your first child, obviously, it isn't the end of the world. And, um, tr- and then true story, um, my mom had me when I was 19. And uh, due to the family support, uh, it has it has worked out um, very well. And I've grown up and, um, raised by not just my parents, um, my grandparents uh, with my aunts and uncles in the midst. So if you can have that family support, then you should not have to resort to um, getting an abortion. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and my upbringings and with my mom having me at such a young age. Now she was in college at the time that uh, she had me. So, like, if anybody can learn to, to that. You know, for a single mom, um, there's hope. And then it's not just her, like there's other uh, female friends that I had um, over the years, like whether it's through college or after college, like one good example I can mention is um, this one female friend I had when I was going to Rutgers. She got pregnant at 20, I believe she was 20 or maybe 21. Uh, when she got pregnant and she had to take a semester off um, as she was like um, going like taking care of her newborn and she transferred to Rutgers Camden uh, to be close to home so uh, she was from South Jersey by the way but long story short it has worked out for her and then the man that got her pregnant was her boyfriend and if you look at them today they are married with three or four kids, both teachers. Well, well, she's a te- she's a middle school teacher, and her husband is an assistant coach for Temple football. Mm-hmm. So they are a success story. All right. Um, the second question is. How does your political views influence you to decide to support or not support women's rights? Well, it kind of sums up to what I was just saying about uh, women's rights. Now, um, it's mostly Democrats uh, are the ones that support women's rights Mm -hmm. and women's rights involved in the right uh, for equal pay and, and and the right for women to act on issues 
um, whenever they feel like they're being um, mistreated, sexually harassed in the workplace, and and also involved involving um, the choice of either be a pro-life or pro-choice and women's rights in, uh, it also involves um, and, and this is speaking on a single mom's perspective mm. um, having that um, support uh, that is needed uh, for them to take care of their children and extra support uh, through daycare. And that was something that Joe Biden signed into law earlier uh, this year. And what I've uh, always I've been aware of with the Democratic Party, um, they support and care more about uh, single moms, uh, as well as blue collar working women than the Republicans ever will. Because the Republicans, they're like too in they're too focused on the rich and then if you, and it's basically with them if it's if you're not rich they're not supporting you you know and that's like the honest truth of them yeah <laughs> I, I love the fact that you talked about um biden and the idea of of support for women because mm -hmm. it's funny when I think about, I, I think for so long politically, I'm like, well, in order to be pro-baby, in order to be pro-family, I have to be pro-life. And I'm like, when I thought about it, well, wait a minute, pro-choice can mean someone has the right to choose, you know, to carry the baby full term. And then someone has the right to choose something else. But the problem that I see, especially, and the reason that I've, I've really become ultra Democrat over the years Mm. is um, Rick, uh, Rick Scott from Florida. He was the previous governor. He has an 11 point plan to remove welfare, to remove every type of service, every type of federal service to single women. And the only option that he will give them is to pay them to carry children in order to just be having an adoption. So how does that support a family? How does that support a single mother who wants to keep her child, who wants to actually, you know, create a family unit or like, like you had, where like you had grandparents and that beautiful, that beautiful gift that you had of having all these different influences in your life. I feel like the Republicans are saying either or. They're either saying it's nuclear family or it's no family whatsoever. Right. And I think it's very problematic when Republicans have so much say over someone's uterus and someone's family decision. Um, even to the point of saying to a single woman that she's not allowed to keep her child. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that's something that the Republicans have been doing. And obviously, I mean, you know that they got, they're trying to strike down Roe versus Wade. So that basically gives the Republican states the freedom to say, well, if you, you can't do an abortion here, it's not allowed. So that basically gives the Republican states the freedom to say, well, if you, you can't do an abortion here, it's not allowed. So now that's going to give um, other families, they got to have to force their way and find another way of like, all right, now I have to go to another state or somewhere else to perform an abortion because I know that if I try it, I'm going to end up, it's going to end up being a fine or it's going to be a felony. So it's really, 
really, really bad. So, I mean, that, that's how, I, I mean, that's a take that I look at it in that way. Yeah. And they're, and they're not willing to be pro-life in any other form. No. There's, there's no support of tax credit. There's no support of, you know, anything that every other single country has. Mm. The Republicans are voting no to make it near impossible for families or for, for families that do need, you know, lunch or, or for kids that need lunch and breakfast in school, they want to veto those bills. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's really, to me, I find Republicans having a lack of care for humanity and lack of compassion. They are the extreme mm-hmm. opposite of pro-life. Right, and then the same goes with their lack of care, lack of support for healthcare. And are we ever yeah. going to have universal mm-hmm. healthcare like other countries do? Yeah. Canada, which is north of us, they have universal health care. And, and I don't know any Republicans out there that would mm-hmm. ever think outside of the box and learn what even nearby countries like Canada uh, is doing to give uh, their citizens um, the right for free health care. Our healthcare is the most expensive product in the world, and it's it just seems like like even when we have had Barack Obama when he came out with Obamacare, and do you remember at the time when Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, um, caused a, a lockdown to happen because he was trying to block it, and that took effect on government employees that couldn't work for. Two weeks. Now, eventually, Obamacare got passed, but then uh, after Obama's two terms are done, uh, Trump was trying to uh, get rid of it, and and then it it shouldn't be a surprise to everyone uh, that whatever Republican comes in is going to drop Obamacare. Mitt Romney, oh, yeah. when he ran for president in twenty two, said he wanted to drop Obamacare. And he would have if he really did win the election in 2012. Absolutely. Um, And I think that um, coming to, um, we're going to close out the section. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think definitely when it, um, when it were like what everyone have said before is that, you know, when it comes to women's rights, I mean, the, the, the right or the conservative Christians, they just want to control it because, you know, they have the power to, I mean, how this whole system is set up, even when the Democrats have the majority of things, there's still all those rules that are in place that prevents um, Democrats or anyone else from actually advancing. So really, they still control things. In the Supreme Court, they still control that as well. So with that being said, uh, we're going to move on to our next topic. Uh, we're going to talk about LGBTQ rights. Um, as you know, that I like to call this the big uh-oh when it comes to conservative Christians. And everyone knows that June is Pride Month. So right now we're in the midst of Pride Month. So every time that you see those rainbow crosswalks, when you see those rainbow flags in these towns, as you know, living up here in New York, New Jersey, in the Northeast, um, it's very, very prevalent because we have a lot of those people in the community that live here. Every time we see them in those areas, Conservative Christians love to freak out when they see these things. I mean, they go on to CBN News, they go to Fox News, and they're the first people that will try 
to um, say something bad or say something very, very negative to bring this all down. So um, just for our viewers who don't understand what LGBTQ plus, I'm gonna help you out. That means lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, queer. The plus means intersex and asexual. I think all of us, we learned this, we all grew up in a church and we all knew that Adam created Eve. He did not create Steve. Or another word they like to say it, to put it in layman's terms, they say a woman is not allowed to marry a woman or a man is not allowed to marry another man. And there's only two sexes, male and females. And we also know that they don't like to use pronouns. So, so let's say, say, for example, if my name is Anthony Ellis, they will say, I obviously use he, his. There's some people may say to use they or them, or they may say she or his. If you say that to a conservative, they like ask for your pronouns, they'd be like, uh, what are you talking about? You're he, you're a boy, you look like a boy. But they know we're not, we're gonna, we're gonna get into that right now. So here's my first question. Um, can an LG, LGBTQ plus be considered as a question? Why or why not? Anyone can start us off? Man, that is a tough question. And, you know, I wish I had no, known a someone that is bi or homosexual or transgender um, that is a church person that um, believes in God. So one thing that we're aware of that only God can, ju can judge a person. And I can see in a situation where if somebody that is bi or homosexual was to uh, join the church and if um, people from that church find out through word of mouth, that he or she is um, is attracted to the same gender, um, that they, they'll tend to give them the cold shoulder and not accept them and just be be bored. And you know, oh, you know what? As I'm thinking, there is somebody that I remember years ago that actually came out. This was an old friend. I haven't heard from him in a long time, but old friend that I grew up with in New Jersey. And um, he was a church boy growing up. And when he first got married, he got he he got married young. He got married at like 19. He was a year younger than me. Right. And then like at around like 23, 24, um, it was rumors stating that he was gay. And this was somebody that had worked in the church, got married, had a child, uh, but he was uh, in the closet. Now, I do remember a few occasions when we were teenagers uh, where he was just like, being curious about, about girls. And I remember him asking me stuff about girls that I'm not gonna get into because you know I want to keep it clean as possible. Yeah. And like I don't think he had the talk. It seemed like he didn't have the talk and he was asking me certain questions. 
So I think uh, at that time, like he was like going through what's known as I identity crisis, whether to be one way or another way. Now, one thing that that causes that can cause people to be attracted to the same gender is if they've been been touched or molested by somebody of the same gender. Now, I'm not sure if that was really the case for him, but that could be a possibility. Mm. Now, I haven't heard from him in such a long time. So, you know, I think I think like once the rumors broke that he was gay, um, like he likelihood he had seek therapy uh, through the church and even personal therapy. And so if a so with that said, if there's a Christian that somebody that wants to um, get right with God and change their life in a more positive way, but they just happen to be um, by a homosexual, like there's always counseling um, to like break away from um, what they've been struggling with, um, with their, um, how should I say, with what they've been uh, attracted to. Okay, so you're kind of like, um, so do you think they can be a Christian or not? I, I'm gonna say yes. Um, I'm gonna say yes. Um, due to the fact that I'm, by thinking about my my old friend experience, I mean, I think I think so. Think so? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, Colleen. What do you think? I I'm I'm just gonna say right off the bat, I love conversations like this because I think it's so great when everybody can have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. and you learn from people you learn something new um and jason i really enjoyed the fact that our perspectives are different and mm-hmm. i love the fact that you spoke in such an authentic way that this i i saw your heart i saw exactly what you believed i saw like your heart for the lgbtq person um mm-hmm. i didn't see any hate whatsoever even though we we differ in, in opinion um mm-hmm. And just, I want to kind of give a shout out to you and Cassandra you. for really kind of allowing this, this diversity of thought, because I think it's really much needed right now. So I'm a little bit on the polar opposite, um, but I would say that, you know, again, growing up in a very, you know, conservative evangelical household, I, I, I started evangelizing like okay. at three years old. I could win people to the gospel and, and convert them, you know, right on the beach when I was 12. I knew everything to say. Uh, Robbie Zacharias apologetics were my go-to force. One of the things that I found though, and I think this is kind of kind of an interesting understanding, a lot of people, when they look at the idea of deconstruction, they think that it's people that leave the Bible behind in order to actually create their own truth. One of the things that I found when I started to deconstruct Um, And it was all through seminary. I started doing it, master's of religion, you know, doctorate of ministry. I never left the church. I never left the Bible. What I found was my perspectives on homosexuality and my perspectives on the LGBTQ people group changed drastically because of what I saw in scripture. Um, And so let me give you an example. When it says that man shall not lie down with man, Hmm. when I looked at the background of that verse, I realized what it was called 
was this word called pederastry. During that time in the Roman Empire, it was the philosophers believed that if an adult male had anal sex with a young boy, that they would be literally passing knowledge from one person to the next. That's why you see temple prostitutes. That's why it is, even when you look at scripture, even when you look at other group, other texts of religious organizations, you will see a lot of sexual activity because mm. of the influence of the culture of that day. Pederastry, when you look at what it's talking about in scripture, that was the exact form of what it meant. It was saying that there shall be no pedophilia. Man shall not lie down with boy. The text was not changed to the word homosexuality until the 1970s. So a lot of the times when you look at the interpretation, it was the lens by which they did it was for their own bias. So when you look at King James, when you look at you know, what they were saying to justify any form of discrimination, any form of prejudice, mm. a lot of the times what they would do is they would look at the word and change it into an English formation mm. that gave them an excuse to say, okay, this is right, this is wrong. Or when you look at the idea of the daughters being thrown out to the angels, because, you know, they said, well, well we want to have sex with, um, you know, your sons. And they said, better you have sex with our daughters than have sex with our sons. It wasn't talking about the act of homosexuality. It was talking about the sin of rape. It was talking about the sin of possession, of greed, of covetousness. So that's where I landed after many, many years of study, many years of kind of racking my brain and trying to figure out, okay, what exactly is the truth here? Mm. Um, now, I have many friends that are on every side of the issue, every middle part of the issue. Um, but the one thing that I would say that I've, I've come to the conclusion, why I believe that an LGBTQ person can be saved mm-hmm. is because to me, they're made in the same image of God as every single one of us here. Mm-hmm. So if God knit us in our mother's womb, then he knew us. And if we're beloved by God, then we know that we are welcomed by God. And so there's not an addendum to salvation. There's not any fine print. In my mind, I see it as Christ and us, and that's it. Okay, well said. Um, so I think also um, we're gonna we're gonna just go kind of tie into my next question here. Um, I think a lot of times when we look at the Bible, there's that famous verse. Um, where I like to use this verse, especially um, when it comes to LGBTQ or women's rights or African-Americans, Black rights, things like that, is this. Um, and I think everyone knows this verse very, very well. Um, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's out of Matthew, number seven, Matthew chapter 7, and it says this, Judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. I'm going to say that one more time. Judge not that you will not judge. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. So my question is, when it comes to these things, do you see conservative Christians following this verse? Do they follow it? 
not all of them, to be honest. And there are, and some that that I've seen or hear about uh, judging others, uh, especially if they're uh, being judged based on um, their choices in life. And like, there's some that forget that part of the Bible. And as Christians, like, like we are influenced or should be influenced not to judge others. And you have some Christians um, that, that, that look down on others, uh, whether they're Christian or not proclaimed Christians, just because uh, they're doing certain things that they don't do. Like, like there, there are some Christians that judge others for drinking alcohol and if that person is not um drinking and driving or having alcohol problem uh just because you see them drinking a sangria or drinking a little cup of whiskey mm -hmm. like doesn't mean that they're a bad person and sadly there are some christians that and do that and when you are being judgmental to others like you are scaring away the one the ones that are thinking about joining the church scaring away the ones that are thinking about getting saved getting baptized or getting sprinkled as uh, what they do in the, the catholic church yeah. and christians us christians like we should be welcoming um everyone um uh, that wants to uh, follow the path of god like it is not a fraternity it is not a social uh private club like this is something that god wants for everyone um because you know there's going to be a moment of time uh when when we will have to um answer to God um, based on like previous choices and things that uh, we have done. Well said, I agree 100%. Uh, would you like to add anything, Colleen? I think that's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, I think it's keeping the simple simple and the idea of, I think the a lot of the times I do see people judging other people. And it's, it's frustrating because to me that, that grieves my heart because it's like, how can, if that person is so filled with judgment, how can they truly live in freedom? I mean, I always say like my favorite time of, of um, praying is I'll go to the middle of the woods and I'll raise up my fists and I'll just start being very candid with God. And I'll even curse once or twice. Like I have a very candid, open relationship with my yeah. faith and I, I think we cheat ourselves because I look at people who judge others and I'm like, how many times does that person stare in the mirror and not accept how they're made in their, in the image of God? How many times do they nitpick themselves or, you know, go through the turmoil of mental health because they're truly not comfortable with who, who the person is in front of them. And it's, it's that idea of reaching toward progress, not perfection. We're never going to get there. Um, but can we be, grateful and peaceful in the journey right right and just want to add more more to that 
Now, now people that judge others, Christian that judge others, like they don't know if that person could could be dealing with a mental issue. Like if they see that somebody that has an anger issue due to past trauma, like you don't know what that past trauma could be. And if they uh, see that somebody has a drug problem, like you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, agree. I think this was very, very, I think that was very, very important. I think that, you know, especially, I mean, I think we can, well, I think Christians can be the most judgmental people on earth. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest. I mean, um, and I think that's another reason why a lot of people leave the church. And that's why a lot of people turn into atheists. I mean, so, so far, the statistics have proven themselves. All right, we're going to move along here. Um, we're going to move away from LGBTQ rights, and we're going to go straight to another topic, which is, I call it, the bigger uh-oh. And that is, and we talked about this before, of uh, me, Dr. Colleen, and Cassandra, um, on our last podcast was social justice, or I like to say, or we like to say, Black Lives Matter. Um, I think we all remember back in 2020 when we were all in COVID, there was a huge thing with the George Floyd killing. I think we all can remember the time when there was that big, huge protest that was going on in Washington, D.C. And I think we all can remember the time where you had Trump, who was at that time, who was the president, um, where he actually cleared out the crowd using violence, obviously. Um, And all he did was he walked across the street he held up a Bible in front of the church. And of course, well, what do you think? The conservative Christians applauded him for that. Um, now we have a change of guard. We have President Joe Biden and you think things will improve. We think things, I mean, we've seen less protests and we've seen less violent protests. However, things still really hasn't changed. And I think some of it actually has gotten worse. Um, I'm not going to go through the, all the talking points, but I'm going to talk about like one or two. Um, one of them, as we pretty much know, is that being Christian or supporting social justice cases has been very controversial for years, going all the way back to Jim Crow. Um, we all know that white evangelicals believe that Black Lives Matter, they're evil, they're Marxists, um, they're Mark of the Beast. Um, and that's uh, and they're Antifa, and we all trying to destroy the country. Um, so, real quickly, uh, actually, we're going to start with um, Dr. Colleen. And my question is this um, What are your beliefs about groups such as Black Lives Matter? And do you think that the church should be involved? I think that it's, par- it's imperative that Black Lives Matter thrive. And the problem that I see, I was reading, I was reading an article and, and, you know, you look at the, you look at the influx of racism, you look at the influx of gun violence, even what happened with Buffalo mm-hmm. and the grocery store. The problem that I see is we are seeing an increase of racism, not because of the church's apathy, but because of the church's pervasive preaching about white supremacy from the pulpit. There needs to be an accountability for these white pastors because there are so much white supremacy as the religion and they have moved completely away from what faith truly is um even when you look at the republicanism um tim lahay the one of the left behind series 
he was the main pastor of the Jim Burke Society. There are so many things that are underbelly going on within evangelical Christianity that is perpetuating, that is pushing racism to the extent that it is today. So I think not only do people need to be vocal about Black Lives Matter, I think there needs to be utter, utter support as well as financial and visual. But I think in the same sense, not only does there need to be support of equity and inclusion and diversity, there needs to be an accountability when those things don't happen. Because what I see is they want both end. They mm -hmm. want the bias and they want to kind of have that virtue signaling. And the problem is there really is no change of heart. So I am completely in favor of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Jason, what do you think? What's your opinion? I believe in Black Lives Matter, um, definitely for sure. And, and whenever I, I hear about us people say, no, Black lives don't matter, all lives matter, uh, my rule of thumb is you can't say Black, you can't say all lives matter uh, when you're not including Black Lives Matter, because the purpose of Black Lives Matter, you know, it started like right after the, um, right after Trayvon Martin was wrongfully killed um, by a neighborhood watchman. And, you know, and that happened in 2013. And now well, we're in 2022. And sadly, like there are people, there are people, non-black people that that are don't believe in him. Black Lives Matter, and you know, too many times that um, somebody, an app, like whether it's an advocate or a politician, that just had to strongly break this down, and you know, but one thing I can tell you. Uh, there, there is, and there has been an increase of people around the world uh, that supports the movement. And this movement reminds me of uh, what has transpired during the civil rights movement of the 60s. So Black Lives Matter is pretty much the civil rights movement 2.0. And it's I mean, it's not just a movement, but like it, it's a cultural, it's a cultural awareness type of thing. Um, and, and like I said, the good part is like, like there are more people that are understanding it, but it's still not changing um, the racism uh, that is going on. So if we're going to like, like see some, see changes, and seeing less of the racism violence, uh, you know, the government has, has to take accountability for sure. Um, Colleen, I'm glad that you mentioned that the white pastors have to take accountability, uh, not just them, same with the, the politicians. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and when Joe Biden was running for president, I remember him uh, mentioning that he wants to pass the George Floyd bill, and that bill has not been passed. Right. And, and when the, and then the war in Ukraine broke out, like the Biden administration 
had basically shut off everything that they had goals of, goals for, and used uh, the government money, our money, to invest in the war in Ukraine. And then a lot of us are saying, back, well, well, wait a minute, what about us? We got a lot of issues going on here in America and with the, the racism uh, being one and then, and then our, the violence increasing, you know, and a lot of other things, inflation definitely, you know, and if you're investing uh, in other in other things outside of America, you're holding us up back. Now, don't get me wrong now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ukraine, now, what's going on in Ukraine um, is terrible. And that's a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. you know, but we as a country can only do so, so much. I agree 100%. Um, I think also, um, we're gonna actually move on to our next question. Um, and I think this is kind of very, very, um, it's pretty much pretty much self-explanatory, but um, I'm going to say this. Um, um, why do you think that it's difficult for conservative Christians to support Black Lives Matter or any other social justice movement? Well, I think uh, one of the main reasons is because um, they haven't been as culturally aware of, co- of cultures outside of the, the white race. And, and this is uh, another issue as to why we're seeing um, white supremacists like, like turn their backs against Black Lives Matter because they are culturally clueless. So uh, pastors, like regardless of what race and what political party they support, they need to be more culturally aware. Mm. Like it needs to be done now. There ha- now there has been some public figures out there. Like look at the NFL for example, mm. and um, Roger Goodell. I'm not sure you guys know this. Roger Goodell is a Republican voter. Yeah. And, Roger Goodell have been known for just punishing NFL players whenever um, their name is in the the worst of bad news, and then they get suspended for up to a year. And without knowing that, if the player has been has been framed. Um, I'm sure you guys remember Pac-Man Jones. He goes by Adam Jones now, but he had the name Pac-Man Jones and all the legal trouble that uh, he had gotten. Now he changed his life. And I believe when he uh, connected with Christ and like changed his life uh, for better and changed the circle of friends. and everything else uh, worked on himself. And now Roger Goodell, he, um, and this was, this was last, I believe last year or year, year actually about two years ago, he finally gave in to the Black Lives um, Matter culture. And it's been uh, get, getting advertised in every NFL game. 
Uh, you wasn't hearing about Goodell um, mentioning Black Lives Matter, and then he wanted, he did, yeah, and at first he was against players taking a knee, but now he's understanding it, and then he also uh, supports and believes that Colin Kaepernick deserves uh, yeah. a yeah. shot to be back in the NFL. So, by like somebody, a big name like him, somebody that runs the most popular pro sports in the league, can uh, get can get a change can get a change into reality. The same could be done for uh, white pastors that are conservative. Cool. Cool. Um, I'm going to go right to our next question, um, again, because of the course of time. Um, why does, and I guess I can give this question to you, um, Dr. Colleen, uh, why does many conservative Christians are so quick to condemn Black or Brown civil unrest, yet they won't say much about their own civil unrest? Yep. Talk about white privilege. White, white churches, especially when you look at the dynamics, and I, I would say this is, this is the general standpoint of you walk into a white evangelical church, strictly conservative, very much about hierarchy. You have the white male who is the leader of the house. You have the little white woman who's submissive and doesn't speak a word. And then you have the little white children running around to show that the man can procreate. It, it is a very insular power dynamic statement. And the problem also too within within white culture, within white churches, that dynamic of power, that dynamic of enslavement has not stopped. And so the problem that I see is even when I look at progressive churches is they haven't moved towards any form of equity. They haven't moved towards any form of, you know, creating a space of community of conversation they've moved toward white saviorism and they've moved to virtue signaling. So again, it still is that power dynamic of the white person knowing all. So I, I would say the problem that I find is, you know, again, also too, you look at the colonization that happened. Missionary work was always about gentrifying culture. It was always about removing language, removing, you know, culture, tradition. It was about creating a westernized standpoint. And so to many white pastors, they have been ingrained for years upon years upon years that in order to be Christian, you need not to be like Jesus, you need to be like white Jesus. Right. And white Jesus is highly oppressive to every single person, every single people group, except the white people who are given and extended the grace of God. So there, there's a very frustrating dynamic that I see, even if you look at, you know, you look at all the pastors that have been white that have committed adultery. You look mm -hmm. at all of them that have had, you know, child abuse in their backgrounds. The first thing that the congregant does is they gather around the pastor and say, oh, you're nothing but a vessel used by the Lord. Mm. But if you look at Black Lives Matter, if you see mighty men and women and, and BIPOC that are truly making a difference in the same name of Christ, there is more judgment, there's more intolerance, mm -hmm. and there's no grace whatsoever. And so white people for years have been groomed to believe that 
they are excused from their bigotry. And that's one of the main reasons why 81% voted for Trump, because right. they wanted someone who would sugarcoat their Christianity and excuse their prejudice and discrimination. All right, Cassandra, you take us home. On the All last right. Time. Our last topic for the night is gun violence. Uh, gun violence has played a major role in the destruction in America so far as of June 22nd, 2022, there has been nearly 270 mass shootings this year. Two of the biggest mass shootings to date has been at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, where um, 10 black people died and three were injured and also in, um, in another town, uh, there were 19 children and two adults lost their lives. It feels like we continue to spin wheels while other countries seem to handle it all. The Supreme Court had a court case about striking down a gun carry restriction that's made effect, that affected regulations across the US. The Supreme Court decision was a vote <laughs> six to three. The conservative Christian stance is simple that it's not the gun, but the person, or we need to pray because sin is a problem and we all need to turn to Christ. So the questions, well, the questions that I have are first one, where do you stand on gun violence? Do you support a mandate? This is another question that I also have mixed opinions with and uh, the, and the quote of guns don't kill people, people kill people. And I remember uh, when there was a news story that broke up a couple months ago about Ohio turning into a staying your ground state, or well, not just that, but an open carry state. And there was a man that was interviewed that said as that same line, guns don't kill people, people kill people. But the truth is, guns really do kill people. Now, my issue with the, with the gun control, like people that get guns, they get it from the wrong re reasons. People that get guns without even doing the training. And if you're going to have, have a gun, like, like use it for, to protect yourself and protect others and not to go out and kill people that you dislike or use it to rob somebody for their money. And then sadly, like we're, see, we're seeing that. Uh, now, uh, later on this summer, I will be attending a, a self-defense class that involves in um, using the gun. 
but it's only going to be for uh, for protect to learn how to protect myself in self defense. And I was talk. It was a friend of mine that is uh, running the seminar. I chatted with him later. I mean, earlier today, and we plan to bring some people into the seminar. The seminar is July 17th, by the way, uh, where he and a partner of his will explain the, the purpose of, of carrying and getting the training. And I'm sure they're gonna talk about um, gun violence, the issue with gun violence as well. Um, he will be great on this topic. Uh, maybe that's somebody, he will be somebody that we can have on this chat in the future. And he's also a Christian as well. And another thing, another thing, um, both my parents are licensed gun owners, only use it for emergency purposes. And true story, there was a time when um, somebody at my parents' home uh, tried to break into uh, my mom's Jeep, and this happened late at night. And she recognized it was like a group of teenagers and she stepped out and blasted several shots in the air to scare them all. And I would have done the same exact thing as somebody tried to steal uh, my car. But, but just because somebody has a gun, like it doesn't automatically there that he, that he or she is there uh, to kill someone. Right? It's used to uh, protect, to protect themselves and protect others. We got security guards uh, that are licensed to carry as well. So um, if you're ever going to get a gun, like get the training, learn how to use it properly as well. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe that, yes, we have the right to bear arms. We have the right to, you know, there's a lot of rights within this country that I believe that people are available to have especially responsible gun ownership. The thing that worries me the most though, is the fact that there is such a dichotomy between different states that there's no set standard of background checks. There's no, and the problem that I found is you look at what happened in, in, Uvalde, in Uvalde, Texas, you look at what happened in Buffalo. They didn't even stop and pray for people. They didn't head to the church. They didn't knock on the door of their neighbor and see how they were. One of the first things that they did was go out and buy more guns. And you have someone like former President Trump calling for a second civil war. And we are we, are, we have one of the most biggest amount of guns and ammo and, you know, in this country compared to any other country around us. And so I do think there's a problem with the motivation and I think in order to have checks and balances of that, I do hope that President Biden does, even if it's through executive order, enact some form of federal mandate that offers some common sense. I mean, yes, we can raise right. it to 21. Yeah. We can kind of take certain semi-automatic yeah. rifles off the street. Mm -hmm. But if there's no sense of training, if there's no ability to actually look someone in the eye and judge how they're going to be using that and even do a, a social media search to find out if they're in any contentious groups that could truly cause harm against this country. I, I think responsibility, background checks and just common sense laws should be the way to go. 
Right, definitely. Background checks need to be mandatory. And that's one of the main issues uh, about our country. Uh, there are states that operate differently as if they're their own country. So I mentioned that Ohio is officially an open carry state, which is the next state over from Pennsylvania, which is where I'm at. Pennsylvania, to some extent, is a standby ground state. I know New Jersey and New York are not standby state. I mean, uh, what's it called? Stay in your ground. And your ground, stay, stay in your ground. Stay in your ground state, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just about all the states in the South are stay in your ground states, with some of them being open carry. So I, I hope Biden, who is recognizing all of this, like it's clear that he's recognizing all this, like it needs to be like a federal law if you're going to own a gun, get the training. Background check needs to be clear. Just like if you were to ever become a police officer, uh, there's a strict background check. The same needs to be applied to anyone that chooses to uh, own a gun. All right. And our second question is referring to the question in women's rights section. Um, why does the conservative Christian continue to dismiss gun violence? I think a lot of the conservative Christian has been raised with the belief and the false belief that they're being persecuted. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems that I would say, especially with the white evangelicals, is they've grown up with the idea that we're the persecuted ones, we're the victims. You know, we don't have freedom of religion in this country. They have no idea what it means to be persecuted. Um, but they're so used to having that privilege that anything that is uncomfortable or anything that reeks of having to stretch themselves just a little bit um, is a problematic situation for them. And I think the problem is they're so against gun control and common sense laws is because because they feel like their rights are being threatened and they've been told that that they are victims of the situation um that in order to protect themselves from the others and the otherness of the world they have to somehow own a gun and so there, there's no rationality in it because the problem also too is then you have to ask the question well what do you believe is an other what do you believe is a threat and if it stems from a very racist, homophobic, or sexist perspective, what if someone just shows up on your door knocking as a new neighbor and hands you a cookie? Are you going to shoot them? <laughs> so there, oh, there, there, there's a frustration because the theology in a lot of the conservative churches is so off that their fear of other is anyone that doesn't look like them, act like them, speak like them, or vote like them. And so it makes any single person who is the other a threat. Right, and I, I noticed that you have uh, some gun, gun owners are that are just like willing to just shoot off so loosely. Hmm. Like, like they will be the same ones that 
they see an Uber Eats deliverer. Let's say there's a townhouse and it's four townhouses connected on one big building and the Uber Eats deliverer knocks on the wrong door. It happens to be uh, the person that's not supposed to get the food. And let's say that person is a gun owner. And is it necessary for that gun owner to open a door and wave a pistol in their face? Or, or worst case, shoot them? Because if, if they shoot that person, now you're committing murder. And not only you're committing murder, you should be, you are going to be locked up in prison. Like It shouldn't have to come down to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my last final question for the night is, how can you influence others on the subject of gun violence in a positive way? Well, it's like it's very important to uh, convince uh, those that want that are thinking about owning a gun to do the training, and the ones that like do these trainings, these seminars. Uh, they they need to make it as a selling point. And as I was talking to um, my friend earlier, and what one of the things that I brought to his attention is if we're gonna put it on a meetup, and I can tweet tweet it out a, a bit, the description a bit as a meetup organizer. There needs to be a selling point to get people. Um, really uh, thinking to themselves uh, as to why uh, they should at least go go there uh, for the seminar. Even if they don't um, go out and buy a gun, like at least like go there uh, for the training. Now the tr- training, like it needs to be, and they need to have conversations that are attention grabbers, they need to uh, make it engaging, like make it like feel as if like like anyone can really like speak and like act on that, that activity. And if you're going to a seminar that's taking place at a shooting range, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to that they're going to just give you a loaded gun and tell you to go shoot go practice these targets. No, uh, it just doesn't work that way. You can't just pick up, pick up a gun and just shoot. Just like you can't just get in a car and drive or jump on a bike and ride it. Because um, there's a lot that's entailed. And if you're a gun owner, like you can still go to jail if you use it for the wrong reasons. I think one of the biggest ways to also influence people is I think getting them to hear the stories um you know e- even of people who are in the NRA where it's like that their voice and talking about gun common sense um but it's not just a liberal issue it's not just you know the liptards of the world as they call us um it's it's this idea of creating creating a safe space so that we still have freedom 
but we also have common sense and background checks. Um, and I think also too, I personally believe to me, maybe they should not only hear about going through a seminar, but listening to the stories of children recount what they went through when it came to gun violence, what it feels like to go through gun drills that mm, I don't yeah. even remember experiencing as a millennial. I mean, I didn't and know. understanding where it's like, this is, yes, guns can be used for self-protection. They can be used for hunting. They can have a positive, but let's also remember the negative consequences that people can associate it with and the lifetime PTSD that people are going through because of guns. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. And uh, there was one part, one scene in the movie Friday that I had just thought about. Mm. Now, if you saw the movie Friday, there was the one scene where um, Ice Cube, who played as Craig, um, he goes to, he opens his drawer and takes out a pistol. And his father, who's known as Pops, he walks in. And ask, what are you doing with that? And he said, protection. And Pop says, protection from who? And then Craig said, I got to walk Smokey to his house. You know how it is out there. Mm. And then the Pop says, I never, we never thought that, that we, we never thought that moving to this neighborhood that you would ever have a gun to just walk down the street. And then he now being that this is somebody, this is a character that is like a, has old school values mm -hmm. from a different generation. You know, this is a guy that's, that comes from the um, baby boomer generation. Uh, he goes on to say, "Y'all cats, y'all cats doing nothing but sissy firing." So he's saying to Cran that that the young that the young guys uh, that are quick to pick up a gun are doing what's called sissy firing. I mean, just now that movie was made in 1995, and now in 2022, sissy firing, as Pops would describe it, is at an all-time high. Yeah, you know, and notice that that Adam that adolescents like they don't fight. Like they used to. Like there's a, I'm sure there's a good amount of kids and young men that do not know how to fight. And then, but they will like think more of getting a gun or getting a pocket knife more than using their fists, just like how uh, things used to be like, this is like in terms of like the 50s, 60s, where like if you had beef with somebody in the neighborhood, they would set up, set up like a boxing match in the neighborhood. Now, of course, that's like, that was like before all of our times, but that's something that they used to do uh, decades ago. That's something that's um, very, very interesting, something to think about. All right. So first of all, I just want to say, um, um, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I know that we can go on for like another hour or so, but we do have to now bring our conversation to a close. So we're going to end it with one final question. This is called a 60 second pitch. 
I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you if you can try to answer your question within uh, 60, uh, within 60 seconds or less. Um, and our final question is going to be, and we're going to start off with um, Jason. And it is, what advice would you give to the conservative Christian? I would strongly urge uh, conservative Christians to become more culturally aware. Like, if you become more co culturally aware and understand um, what is what is truly going on with the in the black communities, the Hispanic communities, the Asian communities, and the battles that women go through, the battles that um, gays and lesbians go through and you know educating yourself it doesn't hurt to educate yourself it's not going to cost you anything it's not going to uh cost you to lose your reputation or anything like that and conservative christians like it's quoted in the bible to love thy neighbor not to judge others accept everyone treat others the way that you want to be treated and if we're going to if grow as as Christians and get an increase of more people that can accept Jesus Christ uh, and be saved, like there can't be any judging just because somebody is different from you. Um, God, Jesus, they accept everyone that comes to the altar and wants to get their life to Christ. I'm going to go with uh, Dr. Colleen. So I, I would say three things. I would, I would say the first is understand history. Understand that we are not built upon Judeo-Christian values, that the majority of the founding fathers actually were Masons or humanists or even Christian humanists. Um, the idea of Judeo-Christian did not even come into until fruition until Eisenhower's period. And it was used to actually contrast America from the Cold War. So it was a virtue signaling. It was not historically accurate. Secondly, it is poignant that we have separation of church and state for a reason, because America is for the sole purpose of allowing us to have freedom from religion and not allowing the church to actually influx the government. And thirdly, purchase my book. <laughs> you will need it. <laughs> <laughs> but it will get you talking. Um, and the book comes later out this year. It's called, Is Christianity Killing America? All right. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you so much, um, Jason and Colleen. It has been an amazing conversation. Um, I know we went a lot longer than expected. And, um, but all this stuff, all this information is very, very important. And I think all of us have learned a lot, something about um, what conservative Christians are and what um, and what are some ways that they can change. Although we are pretty much sure that they're not going to be changing in the nearby future. But you know what? Hey, it was worth a try. Um, again, also thank um, Cassandra very much for being amazing co-host as always. Um, do you have any last words that you want to say, Cassandra, before we close? have no words this was an amazing conversation all right well i think we will leave it at that
So if you have any comments, if you have any suggestions, if you have recommendations, um, you can email us. The email is on the bottom of your screen. Um, if you have any suggestions, you want us to talk about different topics, um, doesn't always have to be serious. We can also do funny. We can do entertainment. Um, there's a lot of topics that we can talk about. Again, our emails are at the bottom of the screen. So once again, um, my name is Anthony Ellis. Um, my co-host is Cassandra. We want to say thank you so much for being here. And we will see you again on in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.